Great, well, it's brilliant to be here with you guys. And uh, I think this is my third time here. And, uh, but it was way before COVID when I was here last. And I'm always impressed for such a large church how well you guys do friendship and relationship. It's really quite inspiring. And, uh, and you just get that vibe when you come in and throughout the service. So thank you so much for doing that and modeling that to lots of other people. And um, I, as uh, Ellen said, well, I work for a charity called Kintsugi Hope. Now, Kintsugi is an unusual word. People are like, what on earth does that mean? And uh, so if you get a bowl and you break it, we tend to mend it with super glue. Or if we're really honest, we probably chuck it away. Uh, what they do in Japan, instead of um, mending it with super glue and trying to hide the cracks and pretending it's all okay, they put a little gold powder in the glue and they mix it together. And uh, so they make a feature of the cracks. So instead of hiding the cracks, they make a feature of the cracks. So the object becomes more beautiful for being broken. It certainly becomes more unique. And I'm a firm believer that beauty comes out of brokenness, that our scars are not there to be ashamed of. Our scars make us who we are. Jesus in his resurrected body has scars, right? Yep. Um, he didn't like, he raised them out when he came back. And, uh, and they're part of our story. And so um, Kintsugi Hope really is there to try and help people um, who are struggling with their mental and emotional health, which in some ways is all of us, because we all have mental health in exactly the same way as we have physical health. And, uh, and we all need to invest in it at times and be real and to be honest about it. And uh, I've written a few books on the topic, um, which you may or may not be interested in. Um, when Faith Gets Shaken is all about where's God when pain happens. Um, I wrote it in between two major operations that I had. And, and it's not like a theological thing, you know, is it devil, is it the free will? It's almost like personally, when God, where is God when I'm really, really hurting? And then I wrote this book um, around faith and mental health, which I think is what I spoke about last time I was here, called Honesty Over Silence. It's okay not to be okay is the tagline. And I really believe that. I really believe that's true. I feel like we need to be more real, honest, more authentic. But after writing this, this sold incredibly well, um, I had hundreds, if not thousands, of emails from people across the UK telling me their story. And I think what happens is, is when one person's honest, it allows other people to be honest. It breeds more honesty. And the, the stories were heart-wrenching. And people who have sat in church most of their life and never told anything, anyone their story before. And as I looked at it, I was like, I do believe it's okay not to be okay, but I don't want people to stay not being okay. I want people to thrive. I want people to do really, really well. So two weeks um, before the pandemic started, I said to my publisher... I'm thinking of writing a book about resilience, because resilience, by definition, is thriving in the midst of adversity. So imagine how I felt two weeks before the pandemic started, deciding to write a book about thriving in the midst of adversity. <laughs> and, and when the pandemic hit, I was like, this is too hard. I can't do this. And uh, my wife was like, four times such as this, you have to do it, and it's really important. And, and, uh, and it was really interesting for me, because as I studied resilience, everyone describes resilience as the ability to bounce back. You've probably heard that, right? Will the economy bounce back? Will the NHS bounce back? Will church bounce back? Will Prince Harry come back? No, maybe not. <laughs> and it's all about coming back. And, uh, and I was like, I'm not sure I want to go back. Why do I want to go back to my pre-trauma self that's been through less? You know, for good or for bad, my values have been challenged. I've changed. And uh, so I wrote a book called Bouncing Forwards. And uh, what's it mean to embrace resilience, courage, and change? What's it mean for us all here today? 
And, uh, and we've been amazed at how that's gone. And on the stand also, you'll find some kintsugi art, which is bespoke, handmade. And then also uh, details of an event on the 8th of November. Um, we're doing a tour, and we're coming to Bognor Regis, where God lives, and, um, <clears throat> and Southampton, um, where he occasionally hangs out. So if you want to come, this is about the most perfect event you could bring a non-Christian friend to. It's not in your face like, you know, come to the front now at the end. It's actually a really gentle chat show with absolutely high standard of music and video and film and, and comedy and all sorts of things. So if you want to come, do check that out. Now, I have the absolute privilege of speaking in lots of different places all over the UK. And it's really interesting that when I turn up to places and I ask people, how are you doing? Their normal reaction is, oh, tired, tired. And I'm like, oh, you said that last time I was here. Yeah, but really tired this time, <laughs> really tired. And, uh, and I remember putting this image on my Facebook page once. I was like, why are we so tired? Could it be the last two years, COVID, free lockdowns, not seeing family, job uncertainty, government guidelines, war in Europe, 24-hour news cycle, cancelled holidays, the email that you need to answer, rising gas prices, cost of living, lack of human contact, plus something else I just can't put my finger on. <laughs> you know, the challenge is, as human beings, we crave certainty, don't we? And I think as I look to the future, there's one thing that we can all agree on, is actually it feels quite uncertain. You know, people are still grieving the whole COVID thing. It felt like, in some ways, it felt like ages ago, didn't it? And in other ways, it feels like the, the consequences are still with us. People had to say goodbye to their mums on FaceTime. Young people, as many young people here today, um, they are living through their third once-in-a-lifetime crisis in the last five years. <laughs> they keep on getting told, oh, this will never happen again. And bang, war in Europe happens. Um, the royal family, we're seeing pain, trauma being outplayed on a global scale. And so we've got to ask ourselves, how do we react to all the pain, all the stuff that's going on around us? Well, I guess there's some common reactions. One is we harden up. We're scared of opening up and revealing our brokenness and how we really feel. We numb. We rush around. I always like to ask this whenever I speak anywhere. Um, now, I've written a book called Honesty Over Silence, so um, I need you all to be really, really honest with me now. Here's your time, okay? I don't want you to hold back. You have to be honest. You've got to be real. You've got to be vulnerable. We're in, we're in church. This should be the most honest place on earth. Some of you look really uncomfortable right now. <laughs> and uh, so I'm going to ask you a question, and you have to be honest by raising your hand uh, to the answer of this question. Okay. Are you ready? <clears throat> Who here has been on a speed awareness course? <laughs> Please oh, my goodness gracious me. <laughs> Just look around you. I've never seen a response like it in church before. What is wrong with you in Chittister? Wow. Look around. Keep your hand high up. It's nearly every other person. That's great. Okay, keep your hands up if you've been on two speed awareness courses. Oh, dear. Three speed awareness courses. Oh, my goodness. And... Madam, we're going to go for four, or...? No. <laughs> Just three. Avoid this lady at the end when she's getting out of the car park. But, um, but it's interesting, isn't it? We also... I've done this with um, clergy before, really interesting, at diocese meetings, and virtually everyone has got their hand up. And I'm like, mm, maybe this says something about our culture and our lifestyle. 
but we speed around. We're trying to figure it all out. We're trying to spin so many plates. Or I think what happens, actually, is when we're faced with such injustice in the world, is, is we get angry, but because we're Christians, we don't feel like we should show our anger. So anger, for me, is a bit like a warning sign on the car dashboard. Have you ever had that, when you're driving along and a warning sign comes up? And when that comes up to me, I'm thinking, I need to take it to the garage, but if I ignore it, it might go away by itself. Does anyone else do that? And you're like, yeah, I'm just going to ignore it because it's going to cost me a lot of money to take that to the garage. I'm sure it will fix itself. And then the next day, you turn the car on, and you're like, ah, it's not there. I feel justified. But then five minutes into the journey, bing, up it pops again. And you know, if you don't take that to the garage, you're going to be in trouble sooner or later. We have warning signs at the moment that we need to do something. But actually, we're just carrying on as normal. I had a, an amusing story. I was, um, when I was in London, I was in traffic lights. And the car in front of me, it was amber. And I just feel like they could have easily gone, you know, it was, and I could have easily gone as well, and we could have all got to our places a lot quicker. But it was amber, and for some reason, they decided to stop. So that means I had to stop. And then my hand, I had no control over it whatsoever, um, came out and banged the horn as hard as I could. And then the person in front of me, the lady turned around and looked at me, and then I looked at her and realized it was my pastor. <laughs> <laughs> So then I ducked down under the seat and pretended that I wasn't there. But, you know, we are leading in unusual times. There have been big issues, climate change, Black Lives Matter, advances in AI and tech and uh, human rights, war in Europe. What does God want to say to us at a time like this? And when I pray about that, I always get quite nervous because he normally gives me something a little bit uh, different to what everyone else is saying in the church, which is always <laughs> feels like part of the course for me. And when I prayed about it, I felt three things, really. Number one was think small. I don't mean stay small, but I think think small. Secondly is create some space. We're all running too fast. And thirdly, think differently. You know, Matthew 13, verse 32 is beautiful, isn't it? He says, he told them a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it becomes the largest of garden plants. And becomes a tree, so the birds come and perch in its branches. So often we measure success by numbers. How big is your church? How big is your staff team? How big are all these? It's all about stuff. And simply being successful in life can't be about getting more things. So if I ask you a question, just because I like to be honest and blunt, what does success mean to you? So to me, I feel success needs to be living by your values. Your values should be your priorities. So what's actually more important to you than anything else? And I think what's more important to anyone else, I've got a mum who's a hospice nurse, and she says, you know, she's one of the longest-serving hospice nurses on the planet. And she says, when someone is dying, all they're worried about is their family and some close friends. It's about relationship. It's about investing in authentic relationships, living by our values. And as I was thinking of this think small, create space, think differently... I was thinking of David, you know, because David was this tiny shepherd, wasn't he? And his brothers had gone off to fight Goliath. And uh, David is told that he needs to go and he needs to give his brother food. And 1 Samuel 17, verse 28 says this. When Ahab, J uh, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? 
With whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? <laughs> I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can I not even speak? And then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. You see, David was a shepherd on the margins of society. Uh, when Jesse had anointed it, it was David's heart that made him strong. It was his dependency on God, not on man. And I guess that's a question I'm asking myself about values all the time, is what's the condition of my heart? Because that's what Jesse was looking for. Am I a person of integrity? Am I wanting to change the world through the insignificant, not through my ego? And, you know, sometimes life is tough. Life hits you hard, doesn't it? You know, it's interesting. I was reading um, N.T. Wright, who's quite a decent theologian, um, and he was saying he really believes that between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, um, Paul had a breakdown. But, and if you read two, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, they read really differently. And suddenly, life happens. But Paul, his secret was actually his brokenness. We're made in treasure of jars of clay. You know that verse in 2 Corinthians where the jars of clay actually were made to be fragile. They were made to break. That's interesting, isn't it? We're made to be fragile so the light can get through. Think small. So five years ago, um, I was leading this quite a big charity, um, big budget, quite a, um, having a big impact, doing lots on TV, lots with politicians. There's one guy I got to know really well. I don't want to mention his name, but he has blonde hair and he doesn't comb it very often. And... Um, <laughs> And it was all this stuff, you know, stuff with the royal family. And I really felt God say, it's time to start again. And I was like, but I'm a founder. We don't let go when we don't start again. And so what we did is, we, uh, me and my wife, because we've been through such a hard time personally with our mental and emotional health and been through all sorts of tough stuff, which I haven't got time to go into, um, we realized that God was breaking our heart for that area. Too many lonely people struggling and not having a voice and not feeling safe. So to cut a really long story short, we, we devised a well-being program of 12 weeks. And all it was is that we would train churches to deliver this in their community. They could do it in a home group. They can do it in a homeless shelter. They can do it in a school. They can do it in a mums and toddlers group. Um, they can do it in a local prison, a men's group. Whatever they do, just add it in. And it's all about well-being. And before COVID, this map shows you where we were working. <laughs> Two. Chompsford and crew. <laughs> and and was, then we started in a few more areas. And uh, this shows you where we were. And people are going, this is amazing. We'll do this in a farmer's market. Because suicide rate amongst farmers is really high. I don't know if you know that. And, uh, and then we'll do this in the men's. Because um, actually, uh, suicide, people die by suicide more young men, like 40 plus, than more than anything else in this country, more than cancer. And so it started to grow, and it started to take on a life. And then COVID hit, and I'm like, that's it, we're doomed. <laughs> and, uh, and my tech guy goes, actually, I think we can move this online. And, uh, and anyone can train. They don't have to come to London anymore for some big training event. And we can do it, and we see what happens, because everyone's struggling with their mental health. So this is where Kintsugi Hope works today. And it's gone absolutely everywhere. Over 10,000 people have gone through it with hardly any marketing budget whatsoever and it's really based on the, I love this quote I think this is so true it says this the planet doesn't need more successful people the planet needs more peacemakers healers restorers storytellers and lovers of every kind it needs people who live well in their places it needs people of moral courage willing to fight to make the world habitable and humane 
And these qualities have little to do with success as we've defined it. We need to maybe think small because every interaction Jesus did was with a person. The second key thing around creating space, um, I think it's really interesting that David spent so much time in the wilderness. You know, in Psalm 23, famous psalm, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Have you ever thought that's a bit funny? He makes me lie down. God makes me lie down. Why does he have to make me lie down? Why can't I just lay down by myself? Because he knows what we're like. Because we're trying to fix everything and be everything to every single one. And do you know the fact that sheep are probably one of the most anxious types of creature? So if you're, if you're driving around and you see a load of sheep, you will very rarely see them laying down. Because they are very, very anxious, always waiting for a conflict to happen. But actually, the only time they lay down is when the shepherd's there. Because that's when they feel safe. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, what are the space in your life? I, I think sometimes we need space for doubt. You know, I was really encouraged by the worship this morning, you know, that 40% of the Psalms are laments. They're full of doubts. They're David going, I don't really get it, but I'm going to trust in you anyway. For me, that's really about authentic faith. And sometimes I feel like as church, if we're not careful, we can be judgmental instead of curious. And we can jump in with all our different opinions of why people do this and why people do that. And church can become really respectable. But Jesus didn't come for the middle classes. And you know what people really want in our communities? They want honesty, authenticity, vulnerability. And it's only when you're honest that you're truly known. The loneliest place on the planet, I think, is being in a crowd, having an opinion, and being too scared to say it. Because you're worried what other people are going to think. That's real loneliness. It's not just about being isolated on your own, though that is really, really tough. I love this picture um, coming up here. Um, Are we looking the wrong way? (laughs) Are we missing what's in front of us? This is a great quote that every leader will like. Um, It's this. Brené Brown says this. Everyone talks about transformation, but no one wants to change. We love talking about transformation. We need to change, but we don't want to change. And it's interesting, isn't it, when David and Saul and this whole thing that goes on between them, and uh, we see the story starts to unravel more in 1 Samuel 17. So Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I can't go in these, he said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So he took them off. And then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling approached the Philistines. Mark Slayer says this, David cannot win his battles with someone else's mantle and with yesterday's tools. We need to see change. And I think the last thing is if I wanted to bring up, think small, create space, so we create space for the presence of God to fall. We create space for people to have the space to ask questions that maybe sometimes we're not used to them asking in church. But also, I think we need to think differently. We can't just do it the way it was done before. um, David couldn't wear Saul's armour. It didn't work. And uh, and I think this whole thinking differently is interesting, isn't it? Because David sees a power imbalance in Goliath that no one else saw. It wasn't the most common way to defeat an army. 
by picking up some pebbles, picking up some stones and chucking them. But think about it. That's what David did for a job. He used to chuck stones at um, bears or uh, wolves, chucking his sheep. He did what he knew how to do. And sometimes we need to think differently about the call of God on our lives. You know, in Judges 7, um, Gideon goes from 32,000 people to 10,000 people to 300 people. And he defeats the Midnights. I've been really challenged personally um, on this. You know, I've been thinking, oh my goodness. I was thinking about thinking differently. I was thinking, I spend probably 90% of my time speaking to Christians across the UK and, uh, and sometimes further Phil. So I said to my trustees, what would it be like for me to make it 50-50? Um, so from September, I'm going to spend time I'm going into businesses and um, pubs and coffee shops and um, the NHS and police and local authorities. And I'm going to be training people on well-being and resilience. And, and the opportunities are incredible, actually. And it's really weird because I'm used to this sort of environment where, where all you guys sort of um, are so lovely and warm and receptive. Suddenly you're going into environments and everyone there is not a Christian. And it's really challenging. And I'm talking about family and faith and uh, friendship and how we can build stuff. But it's really exciting as well because that's what God calls us to do. He calls us to go out of the four walls of the church. I noticed when I came in, you had some maps at the back of the church, um, which is really common, actually, to have a maps of where the missionaries are, where the home group leaders are, and it's fantastic, isn't it? You can sort of spot who's there, and, and I love the church's um, focus on small, even though it's such a big church and relationship. But I always wonder, I think Mark Green says this as well, if there could be a third map. And that map could be where everyone works, um, the schools, the hospitals, the businesses, the universities, um, the, the single mums where they meet for coffee in the morning, uh, where people hang out. Imagine how many dots would be on that map. And say, God, would you transform the NHS? What would it mean to transform businesses in our community? What would it mean to transform politics in our community? And so we're equipping the saints for action to get out. It's really interesting. As I started thinking about this, um, I, a newsletter that wasn't particularly from a Christian came through the post, and he said, we need to take down some of the giants of our time. And he said the giants of our time were poverty and financial well-being, racial um, injustice, a good start in early life, the climate crisis, and mental health services. But I found it really interesting that they used the word giant. <laughs> we need to change. Um, who here remembers the BlackBerry? Does anyone remember the phone, the BlackBerry? Anyone had a BlackBerry years ago? The BlackBerry was really, really, really popular. It was a tiny little keyboard that you can type on, and it was amazing. And Mike Lazarus, who basically um, came up with the idea of the BlackBerry, his team came up to him and said, you know what, I feel like we might need to change. And he's like, don't be stupid. Everyone's got a BlackBerry. The BlackBerry is the in thing. I'm not, I love my little keyboard. We are not changing. Another person went up to Steve Jobs. And do you remember um, Apple? You used to do that tiny little, um, what's it called, iPod. They were tiny little, I was always losing mine. And a tiny little iPod. And he went, you know what? I think we could put music on a phone. And, uh, and we could actually do this in a completely different way. So Mike Lazarus, with, they came up to him with some new ideas. And he basically went... Tapping on glass will never take off. <laughs> Forget it. Steve Jobs, actually, 
quite liked his iPod, and he was like, I ain't that keen, but I'll tell you what, I'll listen to your opinions. And so they went away, and the guys were wise, you know what I mean? They were really, really wise. What they did is they started to talk about values and identity, and, and actually, we're not throwing the baby out of the bathwater. We know what this is really important, and the way we do things is really important, but we still feel like we need to change. And so Steve Jobs was persuaded. And, uh, and now, basically, the iPhone accounts for half of Apple's revenue across the world, billions and billions of pounds. Who here's got a BlackBerry still? <laughs> Two people. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? It's change. That sometimes change is there to happen, and we need to go back to it. And so my encouragement for you is, please, let's think small. Let's create space. Let's think differently. And I also think about the thing differently is that um, when I go around, and, and if I'm doing stuff on media, if I'm doing stuff in the church, sometimes the dialogue you get is so depressing, isn't it? The news is always pretty much depressing. But then sometimes I go into the church, and you know, I hear theology that says, well, the world's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse, and then the end's going to come. And then we're going to get raptured out of it, and all the bad people are going to be left behind. I was like, well, that's fun, isn't it? That's really um, exciting, that is, to get going about that. And then I start realizing that I don't think that's what the Bible says at all. I think God is calling us to create a new heaven and a new earth. And simply, uh, rather than just hanging around on earth, doing our own thing, waiting to die to go to heaven, God calls us to partner with him in realizing his ultimate purpose of recreating heaven and earth and everything God intends us to be. And so instead of arguing over theology sometimes, we need to get on and say we want to see brighter days for our communities, for our politicians, for our businesses, for the poor, for the broken, the marginalised, to talk hope into people's lives. Jacqueline Netrovich says this, inspiring hope in a cynical world might just be the most radical thing you can possibly do. And to be honest, I'm not particularly an optimist. Um, I've been through really dark times of depression. In fact, when I went through a really dark time of depression, my wife decided she wanted to get me out of the house more. Um, so she bought me a dog. And we called the dog Hope, which is a really rubbish name for a dog. Can you imagine how my poor neighbours felt? They just heard me shout out for the first six months, No hope! <laughs> no hope! No hope! Apparently they heard me shout out, Died of lost hope! <laughs> Jumped over the fence. Um, but hope isn't a feeling, it's a way of thinking. It's a way of thinking. So a while ago now, um, I decided to attempt to write a book which wasn't for Christians. So all my books are for Christians. And I wanted to write one that they could sell in Waterstones and one that you could give to your friends without feeling a little bit embarrassed or wondering how they're going to get on with it type of thing. It talks about spirituality, it talks about mental health, physical health, spiritual health, behavioural health and emotional health. And I wrote it in poems and quotes and short stories and all that sort of stuff. And I wanted to write a bit more of a vision for society, which is a little bit more cheerful than the one we get through our televisions. And then as I did it, um, there was a singer called Emily Sunday. I don't know if you've heard of her. She wrote a song called Brighter Days. And it came out, and it did all right. She wrote it during the pandemic. It was a pretty good song. But then a couple of months ago, it got to the King's um, Coronation Choir. And uh, the King's Coronation concert, what happened was they'd got the world's leading experts from across the world. They'd got, like, you know, they'd got the Royal Ballet, the Royal Opera, the Royal College of Music, the Royal College of Arts, 
Um, it was spectacular. They got the best of the best of the best there. And then the megastars like Katy Perry and Lionel Richie, take that, and all these guys were coming over. And then smack bang in the middle of the King's Coronation concert, they decided to go and find a community choir. And what they did is they went across the UK and they found choirs. They found uh, a choir uh, who was made up of farmers in Northern Ireland, um, NHS workers in Hull, uh, London firefighters, cab drivers, a Welsh male voice choir, a Yorkshire-only female South Asian choir, Gaelic singers from Scotland's Western Isles, um, a BSL sign language choir, a refugee choir, an RNN choir, an LGBT choir, and they got all these guys together and they started to perform this song. And it's incredibly moving. I thought it was incredibly moving for a number of things. One is they're all in their different clothes. They're not, you know, sometimes choirs, they all wear the same stuff. All individual. It wasn't perfect, but I don't think it was meant to be perfect. I think it was their best, and I think that's okay. But what I really love is two things. There's a line in the song that says, I'll tell you something, it's not all for nothing. And I guess I wanted to say to people that have been through a tough time, nothing is wasted. Beauty comes out of brokenness. That is the whole message of Kintsugi Hope. Beauty comes out of brokenness. But then at the end, there's a point where basically the music dies down and the 300 people, they do sign language. And I've often felt with people who uh, do sign language, they've often been marginalised, they've often been put on the side, it's often uh, out there somewhere. And then suddenly the marginalised take centre stage and the world's attention is on them and a brighter vision. The other thing I loved about this is that sometimes I think it's really nice when you can belong and feel loved, but you don't have to fit in. And so I thought I'd show you this song, and then I'd read you a poem, and then I'd pray for you, and then I'm done. Is that okay? Check it out. <clears throat> We've seen it all The tears have fallen And every step is on the so confused we don't understand Feels like this night won't end Yeah. 
So um, I hope that you feel a little bit more hopeful for when you came in this morning. Like, think small. Like, let's not get so overwhelmed with what life is all about. Let's create some space in our lives, create space for doubt, but create space. We're all too busy. We need to find that rhythm um, like David did in the wilderness. He spent so much time there in the presence of God. And let's think differently. And uh, let's enjoy that journey that actually we can think out of the box. And you know, whatever season of life we're going through, there's always hope. Where there's life, there's hope. Um, <clears throat> I want to finish by reading you a poem. And it's some of the most beautiful words I think I've ever read, actually. It's, um, it's written by a lovely lady called Jane Smith. Jane is a friend of mine. She's got blood cancer. She's had it for a long time now. And she's been shielding since the pandemic came. And in some ways, she has every reason to feel hopeless. Um, she's dealing with all sorts of family stuff, and uh, she's an absolute dear. And she said, Patrick, when I discovered that you're dis- uh, running a charity and the tagline is discovering treasure in life scars, I thought I'd tell you all the things that I've discovered in my cancer journey. And uh, she wrote me this poem, and she goes through uh, the alphabet. And I think it's just beautiful, and I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to pray. It says this. Acceptance in the anguish. There's some beauty in these bruises. There's some belief in the brokenness. There's some breakthrough in the battle. Some comfort in the conflict. Some courage in the crisis. Some diamonds in the dust. Some dignity in the disappointment. And some discovery in the darkness. Faith in the fear. Fortitude in the frustration. Grace in the grief. Healing in the horror. Hope in the hurt. Insight in the injury, inspiration in the illness, some love in this loneliness, some mercy in the misunderstanding, some opportunity in its ordeal, some patience in the problem, some peace in the panic, maybe a little bit of purpose in this pain, refuge in the regrets, rest in the restrictions, sanctuary in the suffering, serenity in the scars, strength in the shadows, treasure in the trials, trust in the trauma, victory in the vulnerability, and some wisdom in the weakness. Father God, thank you for this lovely church. Um, thank you, Father God, that, um, that you are with us in every season of life. And Father, as we look forward, we realise the world is very uncertain. And, uh, but Father, I pray that we would just know your voice. We would know you as our shepherd. And uh, making us lie down in green pastures because our shepherd's there. And when our shepherd's there, we know we're safe. We'll know we're okay with all our thoughts and anxieties and things that we've never told anyone. When our shepherd's in the room, when our shepherd's there, we're safe. And Father, I pray that people would know that in every season of their soul, every season, whether life is fantastic or whether life is really difficult, where people may be still grieving loved ones, where people are trying to work out the future. Uh, God, I pray that they would know your presence. And Father, I thank you that how different that we can all be in your kingdom and still know that we belong. In Jesus' name, bless these guys. Amen.